I'm Lauren. Hello, I'm Sarah. And welcome to Montalino Mama. Welcome back, everybody. Today we have a little bit of a different episode. We're going to talk about a book that Sarah has recently read and that I have not read. Um, so she's going to tell us a little bit about what she liked about it, what she learned from it, um, and what she thinks we all need to know about it. The book that we're talking about is called Language Strategies for Twi- Trilingual Families, Parents' Perspective. Um, and it's by Andreas Braun and Tony Klein. That's right. <laughs> all right. So, Sarah, can you just start by telling us uh, why you picked this book up? Sure. Um, so the main reason why I try reading this book and why I, I found it, I guess, is because there's a lot of research out there for bilingualism. But when it came to my particular family dynamics, we're trying to raise our children trilingual. There wasn't that much out there, especially in the form of maybe like a, a guide or some parents' perspective on the topic. So I did some research and looked up uh, some books online, and then I came across this particular one which I like because even on the title, you have the parents' perspective in it. So this was the main, the main reason um, for finding and looking for this one. Uh, do you know anything about who the authors are? I do. So um, one of the reasons why I actually uh, decided to go for this one, even though I found a few more and we can talk about that later, is because um, one of the authors, uh, Andreas Brown, has some... Um, Back, has a background in multilingualism, and he's also known for studying language practices of trilingual families. So I thought someone with this background would definitely know what's going on, and definitely considers the the, the idea of a family, right? The dynamics within a family, not just the kids in isolation. Mm-hmm. And then I think Tony Klein uh, is also pretty well known in in the UK for being an educational psychologist, and he has a lot of research on educational bilingual children. So I thought he would definitely bring something to the table in this book. So these are researchers and parents, is your understanding? I believe so. Yeah. So basically, the idea, um, the idea of this, oh, the idea behind the book, I think it's um, it's it's an accessible book to everybody. So it's written in a way that it gets started with the idea of what is multilingualism or trilingualism. Uh, some research there, they actually, the authors actually bring up that there isn't that much research happening right now with trilingualism per se, but rather multilingualism and bilingualism. And that um, the few major key studies that they have reviewed in bilingualism uh, do apply somehow to trilingualism, but there's so many more factors that play into trilingualism because you're adding a new language. Um, that you could only go that far, right? Just assuming that this would happen, you would assume A, B, or C for trilingualism. So they started the book like that, but then most of the book, the actual body of the book is parents' perspective with, respe- with respect to, um, I believe it was education, beliefs, and then family, their mm-hmm. actual families, the extended family. And also um, there is a final chapter that looks at um, final thoughts or how this kind of, the, the parents' perspectives on the stories kind of fit with the, the current research. And then what they see this happening, what, what they see happening in the future and the idea of like how this fits um, going forward and some of the resources that parents could draw from when it comes to raising their kids trilingual. Um, so, so yeah, it's, it's basically a brief review of research 
to kind of contextualize the, the book and then mostly parents um, testimonials. But when it comes to, to three different groups of families, and I can talk about that in a second. But yeah, I would say it's a very accessible book. If you know how to read in English, you can read it. It has research in it, but it's really late language, so everybody can understand. Mm -hmm. um, it's not overwhelming, even though the two main authors are researchers. Mm -hmm. And then I really appreciate the voices from the, the parents. So, so it's meant for a general audience, not yeah. researchers. I have to say it's, a, it's part of a book series because it has this stamp on it called Parents and Teachers Guide, but it's not a guide per se. So if you're looking for a guide, this isn't a book for you. It's more of, um, you know, what is multilingualism, what is trilingualism, and then let's hear from parents and on what, what that meant for their families and what decisions they had to make moving forward. Um, what would you say was like the overarching message of the book or what was the biggest thing that you took away from the book? I think one encouraging thing after reading the book was that um, I didn't have any high hopes for the book. Because <laughs> that I read online were like, yeah, I mean, most of the positive reviews were from other researchers. So I was like, yeah, sure. My colleague does wonderful work on this and this. And I, and I believe that. But I wasn't really in the mood for sitting down and reading more research. So uh, once I sat down and I realized how accessible it was and then how helpful it was in a way for me to think about trilingualism, I would say that is the thing. That is the frame of the whole, what I took away from the, the book. Trilingualism is very common. Um, this book is uh, definitely oriented around trilingualism in Europe for the most part. There's people who have a, a background in languages that are not European per se, but they're currently living in Europe. They're actually drawing from two different kinds of families that live in Germany and the UK. So they're only looking at families that are living in the UK or Germany. Um, they, might not be, they might not be living there right now, but they were living there at the time that they conducted the interview. Mm -hmm. um, and then my favorite part of the book, and I can tell you straight away, is the idea that they they came up with like a system to classify these families in three groups. And it's um, because I never thought about this. When you think of a bilingualism, you always have the one parent, one language and everything. But what happens when you have three languages? How does that work? Mm -hmm. Apparently they did this system and I can talk about it because I, I think I'm gonna go to the page where this is. It's a wonderful, it's this really simple scheme. And it's too bad people can't see this, but I can show boring. <laughs> It's like super right. simple, but it's, it has like a few questions that they ask uh, the people. And then whether they say yes or no, they were like brought into a different category. So the first one was like, did each of you learn, and this is regarding the parents. So they, did each of you learn only one native language when you were young? If they say yes, they move into the next, the next question, which is what's the language that one of you learned when you were young, the language of the community where you live now? And then if you say yes, you will go to, you are bilingual. You are a bilingual family with one parent able to teach your child the language of the community where you live now. If you say no, uh, you will go to group one, which is your family with two native languages and a third potential language, the language of the community where you live now. Now, if you go to the initial question, did each of you learn only one native language when you were born and you say no, then you are prompt to the next question. Did one or both of you learn to speak more than two languages when you were young? Now we're talking about a potential bilingual parent mm -hmm. out of these two. Uh, this may include the language of the community where you live right now. So if someone said that, so if that person was raised with two languages and they're still living in the community with one of those languages spoken, 
the, the belonging group three. You're a family in which the parents speak three or more languages between them. Which would be your family? Mm -hmm. Or if you go actually now, this is interesting. I would be group two. So if I said no to that, meaning, well, I guess no, if you're right. Yeah, I would be. <laughs> but if you go to no, then you're 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 brought to group two, which is you're a family with at least one bilingual parent. So in a way, I'm in group two because only one of us is bilingual. So group three would be the idea of I am bilingual, my spouse is bilingual. And we live in a community with one of those languages is the language. So really cool because then just to kind of contextualize this, group one would be people where let's say Juan is from Spain, uh, Anne is from France, and they're living in Germany. Right, so they both bring their own native language, but they're living in a third community where the language spoken is not their native languages. Mm -hmm. Then group two would be kind of like my situation. Uh, only one of the parents is bilingual in the sense, and, and I can see where Lauren got to that before. Yeah, some of the things that kind of rubbed me the wrong way when I was looking at the book. What is bilingual? Right. It's not clear here. Meaning I could be bilingual right now, but according to the book, they don't consider me bilingual because I wasn't raised speaking two different languages. So my husband would be bilingual in the sense that he was a simultaneous bilingual, but I wasn't. I learned the language later. Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting classification, though, since mm -hmm. practically, for all intents and purposes, it's the same. The exactly. same. You speak both languages. Right. I understand why they're doing this classification of bilingual. I was really bothered by it at the beginning. I actually took notes and I was like, do not like the definition <laughs> no. of bilingual. But it's because one of the aspects that they focus on a lot is about their parents' beliefs and the, the values being raised in that language that I don't, don't have because I was never raised in the U.S. So when thinking what language am I going to speak to my children, to me, it's going to be Spanish because I have that attachment to Spain and only Spain. Mm -hmm. um, and then the group three to me is the most interesting one because you have two parents that are both bilingual and now they... They're forced to make a choice, in a, in a sense, to decide what three languages they're going to keep. You know, like maybe one of them is going to have to go out the window because four languages is going to be way too much. Mm -hmm. And the book does a really good job by like, I like portraying how the families negotiate that. Like what makes sense for us living in Germany or in, in the UK to do. So yeah, this was like my favorite part of the book. And I kept going back to the scheme and being like, okay, where am I at? Which family group am I looking at? And then, of course, I love reading my, the chapter for group two, which is my family context, mm -hmm. 22 practically. So it was very clear to me when we had our kids that I was going to speak Spanish to them. Mm -hmm. But with my husband, we had to sit down and make that decision of like, okay, you speak two different languages. Mm -hmm. and it's actually interesting to me reading the book now to think about that moment when my husband was like, okay, well, I speak English at home. Our family language is English, but he actually chose to speak French at home with me, even though that was the community language for him growing up. Yeah. So he had to make an active decision about that. So yeah, that was my favorite part of the book. Yeah, it is interesting when you think about the values that you have associated with your language, you know, you feel like ownership over it. Exactly. And I think the book does a really good job at, uh, at bringing up this, this three, the three factors, actually, I'll just, I'll just read them out loud. So basically, for the most part, like the biggest part of the book is this family. So there's three chapters, one for each kind of family group. And then they focus on three things, how parents decide to use languages with children, languages at school, mm -hmm. languages at the extended family, 
and our languages and our cultures. And I think the most not surprising thing I would say would be that living in the UK, English was very strong. A lot of people wanted to assimilate, they, they, they made an effort and they were, I would say a little bit more judged by others, including external family sometimes. In this, like, in this book you're saying? Yeah, extended family sometimes even had to, I, it's, just, it's so complicated learning, it's so wonderful to me to read this book because if you're thinking about it this way, we were just going from the children to the parents. Now we're talking parents that were raised bilingual. That also means that their parents, these parents' parents, also have linguistic abilities and sometimes cultural values attached to two different cultures. So it was really cool to read at some at some point in the book that, uh, let's say, someone who's originally from Poland moved to the UK and has a child. And this is the child who's not a dad having to decide do I speak to my kids in Polish or English? And then you would think, well, let me choose Polish so that I can give my son or my daughter the, the gift of bilingualism or trilingualism. But his parents do not support it. His parents are just like, why would you do that? We're now in the UK. We're all speaking English. Why would you bother teaching them Polish, which you don't truly use at work or anything? So that was the most fascinating part for me, the, the role that extended family plays into it. Because for me, it's obviously my family's monolingual per se. So Right, yeah, same. No discussion. Mm-hmm. But when you have, like, this something my husband and I had to navigate to mm-hmm. because we decided to go with French from my, my, my husband's side of the family. But then his mom, which we interview here, yeah. <laughs> so look for that episode. She was in a way bilingual, not by the this book definition, but she spoke British and British English and, and, and French. And then we were asking her to, to speak to her son in French, even though that's not her first language because it's we wanna like dominant language. Yeah. So it was so interesting when you have two languages that are native to you. You have you gotta make decisions. And sometimes the people like the the parents interview in the book, they're so torn. They're like well, it would make so much sense for me to like talk to my child in French because we're in Germany and like German he's going to pick up in school. But I do not have the strong cultural values attached to French that I would like. So it feels really odd to yeah. establish a relationship with my son or my daughter in, in French. So I was just like so surprised to hear this, but it happens because I don't understand necessarily this people's background because I, I'm not in that situation. So that was very, very interesting. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that you are going to incorporate into your family language practices based on reading the book? I, that's a great question. So I would say this book played an important part in how I understand trilingualism. Mm-hmm. So I think I understand better my family dynamics and the choice we made and how hard it was sometimes, or how hard we've had to, we, when we have to explain to people why we chose to do this, the things we chose to do, now we have some support to do so. Yeah. Um, but I would say the most important role for me has been the extended family, because my family is no big deal. Mm-hmm. Like, I will fall within that group one. Well, duh, grandparents need to communicate with the grandchildren, so please let me use that language. Uh, but definitely brought up a lot of things with my my husband's side of the family when we recently just saw my my brother-in-law after a long time and he's bilingual too. 
mm-hmm. French and English. And it was the first time he was actually meeting my kids. And I was just like, oh, Lord, what are we going to do? <laughs> is this going to be organic? Is it like we would love for him to talk to him in French, but how is that going to go? And he, funny enough, he chose both languages. So there was a lot of code switching happening because my brother-in-law communicates with my husband in French. So mm-hmm. that was already happening. Naturally, we yeah. were in the U.S., so it was like a lot of code switching back right. and forth. And French. if you were there, mm-hmm. exactly. So it was like English. And of course, I was there, and I am not a French speaker, although I understand everything. So, but it was a lot of fun. And then, um, but I, but I, what I would say is the the schooling. This is Europe. It's a very different situation from the United States. Uh, in the U.K., it was no big deal. The schooling was going to happen in English. Mm-hmm. So that's why a lot of people were like, okay, well, if, if schooling is going to happen in English, like, let's make sure that I speak Polish or whatever at home, even though they, I got to say, these families living in the UK tend to assimilate more. Mm-hmm. But in Germany, it was such a different reaction from the, the families. A lot of them were trilingual because one of the parents was an English-speaking parent, and they had access to international schools where instruction was in English. So, so many of them had that extra support from the English-speaking schools. And that, that, that was like, that corroborated my, my intention and like the idea that I do want to send my kids to an English school here in the U.S. if I can, because it seems to help a lot. And the parents did mention quite a few times, it was so, so good to have another community of like kids around my son or my daughter that spoke that language or the parents I spoke it to. But, uh, but needless to say, that was... Um, a prestigious language. We're talking English in Europe, in Germany. So it was cool to go to a bilingual school that taught yeah. English. Yeah. So yeah, I think that would that would be that would be the reinforced idea that I, I really want to send my kids to a bilingual school. Is there anything that you think doesn't easily apply to our context in the US from the book? I like the idea of incorporating the extended family, but I I couldn't stop thinking for people living in the U.S., I feel like they have less, less of a chance to go back and see extended family if they don't live there. So the only group one, the group one was the two parents both speak a native language, but they're living in a country that is not the country where either of those languages are spoken. Those were the only ones that kind of fit with the profile that we tend to have in the U.S. Yeah. In a way, a lot of people in the U.S., they're bilingual and they have the this profile, but they don't get to travel back to their home countries as much. I don't know if it's because maybe they don't have as much vacation or it's more expensive. So the extended family was great, but I I think maybe it's just my personal experience, but um, hard here. I mean, maybe in the context of Spanish speakers, if you have family members in the same household or like close enough. Uh, But it seemed like uh, for the trilingual families when the parents the great-grandparents were living in the same country was more common, way yeah. more common. Yeah. yeah. And definitely the majority minority language, um, the people living in the UK felt more like what we see in the US, where you're speaking English, which is a super important language, prestigious, uh, and people want to assimilate or they just kind of give up easily. Yeah, kind of the, the generational shift mm-hmm. to English is, is quicker maybe in, in the US and the UK. Exactly. And actually, the book has a really good uh, ending note when they talk about English as a lingua franca and the idea that globalization is happening and then we're moving more towards everybody speaking English. 
So that's actually being portrayed here, in, especially in Europe, in Germany and the UK, right? So in the UK, you speak English, so you kind of get it no matter what. But even in Germany, a lot of the families have um, had uh, normally um, an English-speaking parent, and that kind of helped. The parents even said it was really helpful to be able to send my kids to this British school or like American school. Mm -hmm. yeah. And it wasn't, an, an, I'm not 100% sure, but I, I think it wasn't necessarily super expensive. It was affordable. And I would dare say sometimes it wasn't, you didn't have to pay for it. It was actually free. It was a matter of applying for it and getting in. Mm -hmm. uh, was there anything about the book that you didn't particularly enjoy? Well, I didn't like the, the I mean, is it because of probably our background in linguistics and we're trained for this, the whole idea of what is bilingual, what is considered bilingual, what isn't? Mm -hmm. I was just kind of bothered. I'm like, well, I'm bilingual and I don't fit into any of these profiles. But not for the sake of having been raised bilingual. I was not, I would should say bicultural. Yeah, maybe not. I don't think I was. And I, although I'm an adult bilingual, I was not raised bicultural. And uh, it's important actually for trilingual, fam trilingual families when making this decision, I think very, very important. And I didn't even think about that. Mm -hmm. And then the idea that is just limited is the UK and Germany. So I'm super curious to see how this applies outside of the European Union or the US. Yeah, I think it would be interesting to learn more about societies that are trilingual. You know, mm -hmm. a lot of, you know, India or countries in Africa where there just are three languages in the community that everyone speaks. Um, it's a little bit different than the situation in, in Europe. The authors actually mentioned that a few times when they go over research, but the thing with those yeah, communities is that um, sometimes one of the languages is not in writing, is only spoken. So mm -hmm. those are normally the ones that tend to go away faster or less, they're less prioritized when the children go to school. Mm -hmm. So there's automatically one language that is going to be less dominant because of that. But yeah, I think it's a, it's a great, it's a great question. They, they actually have people with very interesting backgrounds. They actually have parents that were multilingual and spoke four to five languages and they had to sit down and make a decision. And I think there was one person that was a male parent who spoke four languages and one of them was Creole French. Mm -hmm. And they identify with that language and that culture a lot, but they chose to, no, I'm lying. It wasn't, it wasn't Creole French. It was someone with a Vietnamese background, but as you know, Vietnam was one of the colonies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they had more of a, an attachment to Vietnamese culture, but they chose to speak French to the children because they were going to stay in Europe and they thought French would be of much value compared to Vietnamese. So that kind of broke my heart. It's like, oh, here I am choosing a language that I don't 100% relate to. Mm -hmm. but it will be very helpful for my children moving forward making those practical decisions for your your kids yeah um do you think there's anything that just a regular old bilingual parent like me could get out of this book for trilinguals hmm. like i said even though i'm in a trilingual family now i think i came from my bilingual mindset reading mm -hmm. this book and that was like life-changing in a way the whole you really you're forced to sit down and think about biculturalism mm -hmm. and also the role that uh, your extended family 
place in a positive but also negative way. You can see the attitudes changing generation through generation. And like for me, it seems very obvious that my family wants my kids to speak Spanish because they don't speak other languages. But then you also have the opposite, right? You have parents who are bilingual, but they're just like, they've been in this country for 30 plus years and they're like, come on, what's, what's the point? Do you want your kid to be the back old Poland that I grew up in? Like, I just don't see that association. And it might be because the grandparents even haven't gone to, back to Poland in a long time. Or even have or a negative association with it or... Exactly. And then the kids are just like, but you know, like I saw such a value in you raising me by being in Polish that I want to give that to my children. But then the grandparents don't see it. They're just like, right, I did it for you, but you don't have to do this to the children. Mm-hmm. So this conflict in the in the middle generations, which I thought was so interesting. Yeah. So yeah, I think it just expands your brain <laughs> in a way that you you would not expect. So yes, I recommend it to bilingual families too. Okay. Wonderful. Um, any final thoughts that you want to add about the book? Anything you know, I don't, I feel really bad that I don't know. I think this book is associated with, yes, Multilingual Matters. That's like a website and a, and a, and a virtual community. Uh, it's actually linked on our website if you want to look at that. But they have a series of books um, that I'm planning on reading. One of them is um, about learning to read and write in the multilingual family. Mm-hmm. I'll definitely be checking that one out because I know a lot of people are interested in like how do I start this literacy in my multilingual children so I'll read that one next uh, and then there's also another one called growing up with three languages that I'll, I'm planning on reading so just making the listeners aware that these titles are out there this is a super short book we're talking less than 100 pages it could be read while you're feeding your baby or like while your toddler is giving you a hard time or you put him in timeout and you have like five minutes, you can get a lot out of it and you can concentrate. So, so yeah, I'll, we'll just keep reading and learning, I guess. And can you say the title one more time for us? Sure. So the title is Language Strategies for Trilingual Families, Parents' Perspectives. Awesome. And you just found this like on Amazon? Yeah, I was literally looking on Amazon and a bunch of them came up. So yeah, definitely great one. And I think I paid 10 bucks for it. So really affordable. Wonderful. Sounds good. Um, I guess we're going to leave it there for today, but we'll see you next time on another episode of Multilingual Mama. Hasta luego. Ciao. questions for us or questions about the podcast make sure to go to home and our website at www.multilingualmamaspodcast.com and click on the link for questions make sure to follow us on facebook and instagram and stay tuned for another episode of multilingual mamas